0: Paul is very clear what he wrote to the Corinthian church there. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Therefore, we don't put any obstacles in anyone's way. We want the Lord to work in their life. And it's hard as humans... Um, we're full of obstacles okay our personality may be an obstacle or the way that we go about things might be an obstacle and whenever we share the gospel we need to make sure that we we address that and say Lord get me out of the way Lord take me out of the equation that the only voice that person would hear the only face they would see would be the voice and face of Jesus Christ so let's go to him now in prayer As we gather here today and as we come before your presence, we do so because you call us to do so and you have made the way that we might enter right to the throne of grace, right to the foot of the throne and lay all that we are before you. Our cares, our burdens, the people that are upon our hearts, Lord, who need your intervention in their lives. Lord, remind us that It is not our efforts that get us there to the throne of grace, but it is the work of Christ. He has satisfied what we could not satisfy. He has taken the wrath of your sin upon himself and removed it from us, that we might know salvation, that we might experience grace, that these things that we do not deserve, yet you give them to us because the one who did not deserve punishment took it in obedience to you, took it out of love for you and love for us, that we might be called the children of God. Now, Lord, you call us to to live in obedience to those things that are laid before us in your word, that we might, by the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in a path that is pleasing to you, and that, Lord, when we when we take these things that you have given to us as believers when we take these this precious word that you have placed in our hearts and 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 we we act upon it and we demonstrate it in in deeds of love and compassion in in words of truth and of life lord we pray that we might be mindful to to remove ourselves from the equation as much as possible so that the words that they hear and the actions that people see are your words and are actions that flow from the love that you've placed in our hearts for that's the only way that we're able to love others in that fashion is because you have taken the initiative you have done the work in our hearts and loved us first lord we are grateful that we can see this truth not in a mind of just of reason, but in with the eyes of faith, the faith that you give to us, the faith that you plant in our hearts, this loving and, and caring faith and, and this gift that is given to us, that we might see the truth of the things of Jesus Christ, that we might demonstrate them to those around us. Lord, we know that there are people in, in each of our lives, whether they be family members, whether they be friends. There are people within this congregation that we just know as acquaintance, people in our workplace, uh, in our neighborhood, that need to hear these things and need your intervention. Some will need your healing power. Some, Lord, to strengthen families and, and bind relationships together. Others, Lord, of perhaps we know of people that have reached such a point that that we just lay them before you. We don't know what to pray for or how to pray for them, but we trust them into your care and presence that you will bring upon their lives those things that they need those things that will open their eyes and give them understanding to who you are and what you are doing in the midst of whatever it is that they are facing Lord, bring your healing and mercy to their lives lord we come to you and are grateful for this gift of faith and the chance to be here, that we might know the sweetness of of the fellowship and a chance to worship and, and to see and hear your word. Lord, we come to you because Christ has changed our hearts, and we share together the prayer that he taught us as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord has called us here, and it's a pleasure to be able to gather and to know the things of Christ. So I invite the ushers to come forward that we might give of what the Lord has blessed us that others may know of his work in their lives as well. Do give you thanks for the many blessings that you bring into our lives, many challenges as well that cause us to turn our eyes towards you, that we might see your hand at work in us, we might see how you're molding and shaping us, informing us, conforming us more and more to the image of your Son. We pray, Lord, that we might have wisdom, that we might have an understanding mind and heart, so that we can use these gifts and offerings for your glory and your purposes. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. (laughs) Shut the door. Keep out the devil, shut the door, keep the devil in the night. Shut the door,
1: keep out the devil, light the candlelight.
0: Presbyterians, huh? Acts twenty (laughs) four, Acts twenty four. I look back at when we started uh, this series about, about a year ago. We started into Acts, and here we are in the 24th chapter, and uh, so much of this, uh, the remaining portion is how the Lord is using these events to get Paul to Rome. That's where the Lord has, we've seen that already. Uh, He says, I've got plans for you, you're going to Rome. He doesn't tell Paul how he's going to get there, all the things that are involved in this journey to get there, but he says, this is where you are going, bank on it bank on it. So here is another piece of this puzzle in the 24th chapter. Uh, If you're able would you stand with me as we read about Paul's experience before Felix. Heavenly Father I ask that you would come upon us open our eyes to your word so that today we understand it so that today it penetrates our hearts enlightens our minds opens our eyes to what you have for us for your grace and your mercy, and how you call us, then to live, we ask this in Christ's name, Amen. Acts chapter twenty-four. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders with a certain attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. And after Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor. Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all kindness. Now I'm going to stop there and say... For you lawyers, isn't this how you address the judge every time you stand before them? I mean, you're just going to smooze. Uh, Tertullus is smoozing Felix here, okay? And we'll look more at that. But you can just see, since we have attained much peace and on and on. Sorry to embellish. Okay, uh, Verse 4. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple and then we arrested him and we wanted to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias the commander came along and with much violence took him out of our hands ordering his accusers to come before you. And by examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. And when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And neither in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophet's. "...having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were certain Jews from Asia Who ought to have been present before you, and to make accusation if they should have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council, other than for this one statement which I shouted out while standing among them For the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, when Lys- Lys- Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. And he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish, a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Does anybody know the name J. Wellington Wimpy? He was a friend of Popeye's. Remember, okay? And he said that I will—I can't even imitate him. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Okay, a put-off payment for, for a little bit. Okay. Now, uh, only Robinson Caruso had everything done by Friday, right? Well, these are bad. Some of these are bad. I want to tell you. There was once a contest for the worst procrastinator, but none of the applications arrived in time, so we didn't have it. Okay, Mark Twain said, Never put off till tomorrow what may be done the day after tomorrow. Now we'll get a little bit more serious. You cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. That was Lincoln. Procrastination is my sin, it brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. The theme of procrastination is woven in and around this narrative about Paul's experience before Felix. And we're going to deal with the legal aspect of the trial and what that means and its import, as well as understanding the issue of procrastination in the life of this one particular man and his wife, Drusilla. So this passage really is a record of a man who forfeited a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous opportunity. We can hardly imagine it. There are few people in the world who have had the privilege to have Paul at their beck and call for two years. I mean, Paul would have been a a very, very interesting person to, to speak with. Intellectually, he was brilliant. Spiritually, he was rich. Through all of his travels and his travails over the years, he must have been culturally very interesting to hear all the places that he had been and all the things that he had experienced. And Felix had the opportunity to hear and be exposed to all that Paul had to offer, and he heard some of these things, and he put off hearing more about the gospel. He said, go away from the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And two years went by, and Felix was gone, and Festus was there, and there's no evidence that in the life of Felix that he ever came to faith. So there are really three sections here in the passage, and the first nine verses cover the opening statement and opening accusations in the trial. Now this was a normal trial that went on, normal Roman trial. And what happens here is the prosecution makes its opening statement and the defendant has to stand silently uh, and they make this, this statement and they bring in this high power lawyer uh, named uh, Tertullus, T-E-R-T-U-L-L-U-S. And uh Tertullus would have been one of those guys that you see, um, you know, at the big trials on TV. And he'd have the $2,000 suit and all his teeth and hair. And he'd look good. And, and I, I, remember, one of the important things, your lawyer is your friend. Okay, One of the things I learned in, in my life from my lawyer friends is that your lawyer is your friend. Okay, But not here in Acts 24. Because Tertullus comes in and he has an agenda. And he's kind of, uh, what's what would be a good word? Um, smarmy? Is, he, is that a word anybody knows? You know, just kind of ooey. And, 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 you know, because look, let me read again and, and how he opens this. Since we have, through you, attained much peace, he's speaking to, to Felix, who is the judge in this instance. And since by your providence, reforms are being carried out for this nation. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. So, more than half of his opening statement is spent on attempting to butter up the judge. Okay, he wants to get on Felix's good side. But the issue is if you've read the chapter before, in 23, 26 to 30, Felix has already received a letter from Claudius Lysias, who is the guy who ordered um, Paul up to Caesarea to be heard. So he really knows what's going on here. He has a good understanding. Um, and, and, but Felix not only have, has a good understanding, but Tertullus is, is trying to play on Felix's reputation. Felix has a reputation as a hanging judge, okay, as a hanging judge. He, remember, Felix was a former slave who was freed by the emperor Claudius' uh, mother, I think, and, and then raised to the power. So here he is with a, a king's power, so to speak, but with the mindset of a slave, so this is a real uh, uh, strange mix in the life of Felix. He was, had a history of cruelty, uh, a history of wielding power in just uh, uh, you know, wiping people out and killing them. And, and, and you know, if there was any hint of revolt, he would come in with a very heavy hand. So I think if Tertullus could, could convince Felix that Paul was really a bad guy... Felix might just lump him in with all the other bad guys and just lop his head off and be done with him and we could move on. I think that's what they're hoping. But that's not really how it comes out. Now, let's see how he uh, presents his case. Uh, Verse 5. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, the first charge against Paul literally is the word is a plague plague. Paul is a plague upon us. And Tertullus is couching this in political terms. Okay, He's not yet dealing with um, uh, the, the, the religious aspect. He's trying to get Felix to see him as a political threat to power. So he says he's caused riots and civil unrest in Jerusalem and throughout the empire. And, and he says these in political terms. Uh, And then we'll see how Paul responds in just a minute. And then second, he does address the religious heresy that he thinks Paul has been uh, involved in. Not only has he disturbed the peace of Rome, but he's also a leader of this sect, uh, the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, in the first century, Rome allowed a certain freedom to practice your religion as long as it was, in in a sense, um, had the stamp of approval of Rome. As long as your group didn't cause any trouble, as long as you were officially recognized by Rome, you could go and do your own thing, uh, but you had to pay your taxes, you had to do everything the Romans wanted. Well, this sect, Christianity, which was called the Way in the first century, is an offshoot, they saw it as an, as an unlicensed offshoot of Judaism. So Tertullus plays upon that and brings that out. It says not only is Paul a political um, a political menace he's also the ringleader of this crazy sect that worships this dead guy that they say raised from the dead and thirdly he brings this charge and it's a spurious charge and Paul's dealt with it before that Paul defiled the temple by taking a gentile into the courts that were forbidden okay and we know that to be false so after all this Felix doesn't seem all that impressed with what Tertullus has to say so he then turns to Paul and gives him his chance. Now, he doesn't; it's not very formal. Look what he does there in verse 10. And when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded. It's almost as if in his royalness he looks at Paul and gives him the nod and Paul begins to speak. Now, notice the distinction between how Tertullus accuses Paul and Paul responds. Now, Paul's been falsely accused. So how do you deal with charges that are false against you? Well, you begin with the truth. Paul says, since you can take note of the fact, verse 11, that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Now let's uh, try to cover this. 12 days in Jerusalem, five of those uh, in a prison prison in uh, Caesarea five of those a couple more days in a prison in Jerusalem so out of the 12 he's actually only been free uh, about two days so Paul says how could I stir up trouble in Jerusalem how could I stir up trouble in all the kingdom in just two days so he kind of puts that concern aside and there's only one recourse when you've been falsely accused and this is what Paul does he tells the truth He tells the truth. And he says, basically, he admits, verse 14, but this I admit to you, that according to the way, which you call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Now, Paul is saying, basically, what we would call the Old Testament. He says, I believe all those things, just as those people who are accusing me, uh, they're doubting it, but I'm believing those things, having hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that they shall certainly, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So there are Pharisees among them that, that are still uh, trying to uh, accuse Paul. And he says, you know what? I'm guilty of preaching the resurrection. I'm guilty of preaching the things of Christ. I'm guilty of standing firm on what it is I believe. And I would just hope that there would be enough evidence to convict all of us of those things as well. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Paul has repeatedly shown himself that he is blameless of these charges that are brought against him on a regular basis. And he has done so with the truth. Uh, Paul is no uh, intellectual slouch. He's very bright, but he sticks simply to the truth and presents it in that fashion. And he is ready to defend the truth in a world that is very negative, in a world that is very hostile toward him. And one of the reasons that he is ready for this is because of the words that Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus warns all his followers what awaits them when they go from his presence out into the world. Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, let's just recap on sheep for a moment. Sheep uh, are one of the only animals that you can scare to death. Um, uh, A guy I knew at college uh, had sheep on his farm, and one day when he was just uh, 12 or 13, uh, he was hiding behind the barn, uh, and and the sheep were coming by, and he, he jumped out and scared one of them, and the sheep just went and died. Okay, just like that. You can be scared to death. Well, that's what happened. Uh, sheep have no actual defense, uh, except whom? The shepherd. Okay, the one who cares for them, the one who will lay down his life for them. Uh, we see in the stained glass window back there what happens when you get a, a particular lamb that wants to wander away. The shepherd will actually go and break the leg of that lamb and then bind it up, and then he is, he is responsible to carry that lamb around until that lamb's leg is healed. And it, it's like um, what we say to our children when we're going to uh, discipline them uh, when they're young. It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. They never believe that. I, I don't think they believe that. Well, th- this is the type of thing. Uh, you know, the shepherd is then responsible for the care completely of the sheep. And the lamb who he now has to carry, he, he carries around with him day after day after day. Okay, so we understand that, that sheep are, are helpless Outside of the shepherd. So he says, I'm going to send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves are carnivores. Wolves are hunters. Wolves are aggressive. And they pounce and they go in packs. And and we see all this. He says, I'm going to send you out. So I want you to understand there will be a certain amount of hostility. When you begin to confront the world with the truth of the gospel, they will not like it. You will be sheep in the middle of wolves. So to do that, what you have to be, the second half of 16, you must be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. You must be shrewd. You must be wise. You must be clever. You must be careful. You must plan your strategy, not in an evil fashion, but plan your strategy knowing the audience that you are going to address. So you have to be careful, and then you also have to be innocent. You have to be guiltless, okay? And, and it's very clear in Scripture that, that you know, your um, um what's the word? How the community knows you. Reputation, your reputation should be spotless within the community. Okay, should be spotless within the community. Let's go to verse 17. Beware of men. Now, stop right there. Jesus is sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves and he says you would think that he would say now I want you to realize beware of Satan. Satan is on the prowl he prowls around like what like a lion looking for someone to devour but he says no beware of men. Now there's an understanding here that Satan is behind the actions of men. But he says it will be manifest in the lives of men and how they treat you and how they basically go after you. For they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. So men will do this. You must deal with men. They're the ones who need to hear the gospel. They are the ones who need to hear the saving message. But they are the ones who will hate you, who will persecute you, who will come after you. Now jump down to 22. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. You will be hated because of my name. Not because the believer acts inappropriately. Not because the believer... How uh, do I don't want to say this? Not because we're obnoxious okay understand the world doesn't hate us because we're obnoxious with our faith the world hates us because Christ lives within us yes we can all be obnoxious now and then or, or 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 you know we can be too pushy or whatever it's not being hated because we're that it's being hated because Christ lives within us it's being hated because we have the words of truth and of life that's why they will hate us that's why they will persecute us and you should be if you find that you're hated by the world because of the presence of Christ in your life, if you're found to be ostracized by the world because of the presence of Christ in your life, not because nobody likes you because you're you know, acting in a strange way, but, but because of the godliness, because of holiness, there should be, and this is the only way I thought that I could describe it, some sense of twisted joy in our hearts, ...that the world hates us. Not pride. Not pride, but a sense of joy... ...knowing that I'm following Christ... ...to the extent that... ...people don't really want to be around me... ...because of godliness. Now, if we ever say... ...people don't want to be around me... ...because of godliness... okay, ...well, then you're not godly. (laughs) As soon as you say... ...as soon as you drop humility... ...and say, take pride... ...then you're not godly, so you're in trouble... But if there's some sense of of acknowledgement that, well, no, I understand people don't want to be around me because of the work of Christ in your life, that is a good thing. Luke 6 talks about that. Blessed are you when men hate you and shall separate you from their company. Shall separate you from their company. Not because you're prideful or obnoxious, but because of the presence of Christ in your life. Okay? So back to Acts So we see that all of these things are happening, and Paul's aware of this as he goes before these councils. He is prepared to face these things uh, and prepared to do them in a fashion that is bold and uncompromising on the things of Christ. And really, the underlying issue that Paul is, is, is facing here is that he has preached the resurrection. We know that all of these things have come upon Paul because he preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does Felix do? 22. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He knows that Tertullus has buttered him up and he knows the Jews have lied because of Lysias' letter that accompanied Paul. So Paul is a Roman citizen, he has certain rights, so Felix has to balance the the upsetness that it might cause with not acting with the rights of Paul as a Roman citizen. So he puts him on a kind of modified uh, jail, modified prison. People can come and visit him and care for him, um, but he can't get anywhere, and we see for the next two years he is kind of held there. Now, we're going to take a little side trip here, to find out a little bit about this person, verse 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife. Now, this helps us understand the type of person that Felix is in particular. Now, it says that his wife was a Jewess. And they, they're going to bring Paul up to hear a little bit more about this faith that he's talking about. Now, Drusilla was one of the three daughters of Herod Agrippa I., And we saw how Herod Agrippa died back in Acts chapter 12 um, because of some, uh, uh, the exact reason, but it was prophesied that this is the way you're going to die. And the worms came and ate him, Acts 12 verse 23. Uh, He said he was eaten by worms. It was a terrible way to go. Well, Drusilla was born in about 38 AD and was promised at a very young age, which was common, uh, to a guy named Epiphanes, who was the son of a king. And the deal was, if uh, this guy uh, becomes Jewish, then you can marry Drusilla. Well, he backed out on the issue as as the day got closer. Um, so after the death of Agrippa, Drusilla's brother, Agrippa II, became king. And he gave her in marriage to a guy named Aziza. Now, Aziza was... Uh, uh, it's not important how much we know about him, but he was an interesting guy, but he didn't carry out his end of the bargain either. So along comes Felix, and Felix casts his eye on Drusilla. Now, Drusilla was apparently one of the um, most beautiful women in the uh, area at that time. It's, it's written about uh, by uh, some historians of that day, of her beauty. So Felix comes and... Um, uh, smooth talks, smooth, smooth talks her, uh, and, and eventually convinces her to leave her present husband and come and be his third wife. Okay, so she abandons Aziza, comes and is Felix's third wife. Uh, his, his, the wife that she is replacing was also named Drusilla, and, and that Drusilla was the granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. So we have two people here: Felix, who's ruthless. Who was a slave and now basically has the power of a king who is known as the hanging judge who um, went and stole another man's wife and that wife who is there now grew up in a jewish household so she has this history involved Um, she abandoned a husband and went and followed another one and she knows the uh, ruthlessness with which felix acts and yet she is there to hear the gospel now okay So they summon for this meeting. And if you're Paul, and you know these things, how do you share the gospel with Felix and Drusilla? Hmm. Verse 25. And he, that's Paul, was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Righteousness, which Felix and Drusilla have not practiced at all, self-control, which they have none of, and the judgment to come. So Paul does not come, and we don't know exactly what Paul said here, but we can imagine that he comes right at the heart of sinfulness of Felix and Drusilla. Because they have no righteousness. Because we can see the evidence in Felix's life. They have no self-control because Felix saw what he wanted. He went out and took another man's wife. And here they are in front of Paul. And Paul lays this out for them and then talks about what? There's judgment to come. When you do these things, when you offend God with your unrighteousness and your lack of self-control, seeking after only your own heart, there's judgment to come. In verse 25 Felix became frightened. Okay, that's a nice way to put it. The word there is shuddered. Okay? Felix got walloped, okay, by his own guilt and by his own sin, not enough to believe at that point. Not enough that his life would be forever changed. Not enough that he would throw himself down before Paul and ask like the rich young ruler, "What must I do to be saved?" Instead, he acted the other way. Go away. I'll send for you again and we can talk some more. He was frightened by the confrontation he had and the evidence of his own sin. And he said, go away and come back. Because Felix represents the type of person who does not understand his own personal sin and the weight that it carries. This is one of the examples we can take from what Paul has taught here. In our own day, I think there's an ever-increasing number who view all moral things as relative. And we as believers need to find a way to speak into the culture the truth and raise its standard, that it understands where the truth is, what the truth is, and how that truth causes us and calls us to live. In a time when sin is viewed as a variety of things, a different type of life, it's a disease, it's a societal problem, okay? The gospel speaks of responsibility and the gospel speaks of self-control in an age when humans know that something is wrong. If you ask people, most people understand that something is wrong out there, though most, most in society have rejected certain categories like absolutes categories of personal sin, categories of guilt. Christians must provide the world with an understanding, with a moral compass, and and help them understand that someone is wrong. Okay, Not just something is wrong, but someone is wrong. And that someone is who? It's right here in my own heart, my own issue. The problem is not out there. If we could just change the world, then things would be better. The problem is what? Change your heart. That's where we have to start. And unless this happens, unless re- repentance comes upon us, then we'll continue to think that society is the problem and I don't have a problem. Therefore, I don't need to address anything in my life. I mean, all you have to do is look at the, the headlines the last couple weeks. How long did it take for people to begin to try to explain away the actions of these two guys in Boston? Okay? There's one doctor, he wants the brain of the older brother because the older brother was a boxer and he's convinced that he must have had brain damage to act in such an irrational and violent way because there's no other explanation for such behavior. He came to this country, had every opportunity and what did he do? He acted in this way, it must be brain damage, must be. I've heard and read things this, this past couple of weeks, well to explain these behaviors the boys must have been bullied they had a tough time fitting into our society. Okay, uh, They were angry at actions that, that our country had taken in other countries. And, and somebody said, how could these two young boys, and they addressed them as young boys, act in such a way when all the, the benefits they had, this country embraced them and gave them all this stuff. They want to address the issue of the heart. It's an issue of sinfulness within our heart. If we can explain away our person personal responsibility then why do I need a savior who is personal why do I need anything from God if it is society's fault see facing our own issue and not blaming anyone else is not very popular in the world today but if we're going to address our own problems if we're going to address our own sinfulness we have to start today and we have to address our own first at the start of the Battle of Trenton on the Delaware River during the Revolutionary War, it was on Christmas Day when this battle took place, and George Washington crossed the river with his troops on Christmas Eve. And it was a bitterly cold night, and there was ice on the river, and there's George Washington, he's, he's crossing in boats at three different places. And the commander of the English troops was really a Hessian officer named Command, Colonel Rowe. And he was there in a nice warm house and he was playing cards that night. And he left instructions not to be disturbed. And when an orderly came in with a note, uh, in typical kind of Prussian uh, mentality, he kind of was, was put off because this guy interrupted his card game. And he took the note and he put it in his pocket. And he went back to playing cards. That note was found on his dead body the next day. And that note informed him that Washington and his troops were crossing the river. See, he took this and he put it off. He says, I'm not going to deal with that now. I'm not going to address that now. I've got other things to do. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Act while he is near. We think of things in our lives. There's a quote that says, if vice has slain its hundreds and pride its thousands Surely procrastination has slain its tens of thousands. It's tens of thousands. I don't know what the Lord's calling you to do today. It may be that for you, he's calling you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Maybe you have never done that. Maybe you have thought your entire life that that I have been a believer, I've been surrounded by the things of Christ, but... There is always just something missing in your life, some emptiness. When it's you in the darkness and you're alone, there's this hole in your heart and you go, Why do I feel this way? What is it in my life that is not here? Perhaps you have never actually believed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for you. God has promised forgiveness to your repentance he is not promised tomorrow for your procrastination. Let's pray. Lord Paul presented the gospel to Felix, and Felix put him off. He said, Come back another day, even though he shuddered at the confrontation with righteousness. Lord, you call us to believe. And this is command in your word to believe today. To act upon the things that we know that to be true in your word today. Lord, if there are those today who do not believe, I pray that your grace and mercy would open their eyes to the truth. That they would receive Christ today. That they would know the joy and the blessings for having their sins forgiven. And Lord, for those of us who, who are believers... Is there something that you are calling us to do today that we should not procrastinate and put it off? Is there someone that we need to seek forgiveness from? Is there someone that we need to extend forgiveness to? Is there someone that we've been thinking that that you've placed upon our hearts that, that we need to speak words of encouragement to? Then we need to do those things today and not procrastinate. Not to put them off and say, well, I'll get another chance at it, Lord. Move us today that we would act in a fashion that would demonstrate the things of Christ, that would demonstrate things of righteousness and self-control, understanding that you are the judge over all things. Move in us today, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. To all stand and sing hymn number 30, Break Thou the Bread of Life. Hymn number 30, let's stand. Heavenly Father, come upon us today that our fetters may fall, that the chains that bind us to the things of sin and the things of the former life may fall away, that we might find release in Jesus Christ, that our hearts may know a joy this world cannot offer, that we may act upon these things today that pursue your holiness and your righteousness, Lord. Send us out that we might do the things of Christ, we ask in his name. Amen.